in Advent, and that word simply means coming. And so we are in anticipation of the first coming of Jesus, which is what we celebrate at Christmas every single year. We celebrate His birth and then His life, and, and then as Christians, we anticipate the second coming. We anticipate this, this new thing that's happening that where He is coming to put things back in order and to make things right. And so that's what Advent is all about. And so during this season, we're looking at why are we so obsessed about Jesus? What, what is the deal that we, we are so obsessed about Him? Um, when you are obsessed about someone, it says to obsess about someone is to preoccupy or fill the mind of continually, even intrusively. And so we are talking about Jesus. We are focusing on him to, to make that the prominent thing that we think about during this season. So why do we do that? What's, what's the point of that during this season? Why do we focus and obsess about Jesus? We're going to be taking a look at the first chapter of Colossians. This is um, one of the books that Paul wrote when he was in prison. Paul, as you know, journeyed to different cities on his missionary journeys, and he helped plant churches, and he went and visited churches. And this was a letter of encouragement that he sent back to um, the church that was here. He had planted seeds there, and, and as a person that planted, he wanted to see how they were doing, and he wanted to encourage them in all the good things that they were doing. He said that he had heard of their fruit. And it's interesting because the church was doing well, and he had heard of their fruit, but, but as he looked at it, it wasn't the fruit of wisdom and knowledge that he was commending them for, even though wisdom and knowledge is incredibly important. It wasn't the fruit of holiness that he was commending them for, though living a right life is very important in that church and in our own lives. But what he was really saying he was proud of them for was the fruit that they had that was love, love in the spirit. He was saying that I've heard about your kindness and your goodness and your gentleness. That's how he saw that God was at work in this community because he saw their love and their kindness and gentleness. And this was an acceptance that they had of one another in a community where they had a number of cultural differences. They had a number of differences among them, and yet they chose to accept one another, to value one another, and to walk in love. One of the things that Paul says is, I want to encourage you to be thankful for Jesus. So as Brent said, we're going to talk about Jesus why we're obsessed with Jesus, and just some of the good things that we want to be reflecting on as we go into the Advent season. So if we want to know who Jesus is, this section, starting with verse 15, Colossians 1.15, is probably one of the best expressions anywhere about who he is. And it's a beautiful poem that was written here. It says, He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him, Jesus, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him, Jesus, and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. 
And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. All his fullness dwell in him. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So what Paul is saying to this group here and to us today is Jesus is central. He is supreme in our faith journey. He is the muchness of the allness. I don't think those are real words, um, but I made them up for today. Um, He is everything. He is the focus. If you want to know God, if you want to know the nature of God, look at Jesus. The more you get to know Jesus, the more you get to know about Jesus, the more you understand the true God. And you also understand who you are in relationship to him and and why he has created you um, to, to be on this planet. So Christianity is not just a particular way of being religious. Christianity is not just about your salvation. It's not just about eternity. It's not just a different way to live holy. Christianity is about Jesus Christ. That is what Christianity is. It's about what God has done in him and through him for us personally and for the world. This particular poem, which we could call this part of scripture, it's one of the first Christian poems, shows us some key elements of what Christianity is really all about. So we're going to look at three of those this morning. The first one is that by looking at Jesus, we discover who God is. At verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God. What we get together and talk about every Sunday is God that we have not seen. Nobody has ever seen God, and yet that's what we talk about, and that's who we're relating to and connecting with and trying to understand how, how he works and who he is in the world. Have you, have you ever been in a, a room? You might have done this over the Thanksgiving holiday. You were getting together, and everybody was in the family room, and we were anticipating that, let's say, Cousin John was coming. And we haven't seen Cousin John in quite a while, and so... But he's coming, and so we're just visiting with the family, and all of a sudden there's a knock on the door, and somebody goes to, to open the door, and, and they have a conversation in the hallway there, and it sounds like John's voice. And so you're going, I, I, I think maybe that's John. I think he might be here. And then all of a sudden you look out in the hallway, and there just happens to be a mirror positioned just right that catches John's image um, in, in the hallway, and it's... Yeah, that's jo- John's here. He made it. I know that now that that is John. That mirror image is who Jesus is. We look at that mirror image. We look at the nature, the person of Jesus, and that's how we know who God is. There has been some confusion in probably all of our life about the nature of God. We have, if you've read the scripture from beginning to end or parts of it all the way through. Uh, There's parts, some people oftentimes say, you know, I read the Old Testament, and it just just seems like God has a certain nature there, and then I read it in the New Testament, and I see Jesus, and it's like, 
just kind of different, you know? It seems like there's some elements that are different, and, and it can be a little bit confusing on who really God is. What Paul is saying here is that, that when we rightly understand Jesus, when we rightly understand that he is the mere image of God, then we recognize that God's nature, the fullness of God's nature, is this self-giving love. And when we rightly understand that, we go and we can read from Genesis to Revelation, and we understand that the nature of God is that he lovingly created his people, that he has been for them from the beginning of time. He is relentlessly pursuing them, regardless of how many times they've rejected him, how many times they've set up idols instead of him, how many times they've gone left or to the right, that he relentlessly loves them, relentlessly pursues them, and has made a way to reconcile um, his creation back to himself, to have relationship. We understand that clearly when we look at the life of Jesus and we recognize that in the Jesus we have the mere image of God, the fullness of the nature of God. The second thing that we see here is that Jesus holds all things together, the beginning and the end. That gives you a feeling of safety, doesn't it? Jesus has everything in his hands. It says, the firstborn over all creation, for by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. You've heard us talk some about Gnosticism, the heresy that has kind of popped up in and out throughout church history. And, and we've talked about that a little bit, and some of you may go, why? Because, not just as a history lesson, but because we can have some of that thought process if we're not careful. Gnosticism really says anything that is created or physical is bad. So humans, nature, they are bad and they are evil. Now, for those of us that love to be outdoors, you know, have you ever taken a walk early in the morning in the mountains? Or have you ever walked through pine trees and you've heard the wind blow through the pine trees or there's been some rain and you get little drops as you walk through? It's a beautiful experience. Or if, if you've ever seen a newborn baby or seen a baby born, you see the beautiful things, you see the miracles of those. And yet there is bad in the world. So we see the good things, but we also see bad. How do we reconcile that? I think this particular scripture is beautiful in really showing us a perspective on that. This poem says Jesus Christ is the one through whom and for whom the whole of creation was made. He made those pine trees. He made those mountains. You know if you've had kids, it's a miracle of those sweet little babies that he has formed so perfectly. He was the agent by which God created the world in the first place. So when you see these wonders, we've had the opportunity to have four children and watch four of them born. And I don't see how anybody that sees a new birth can question that there's a good God in the world. And so every time you see one of these things, you can know that this is Jesus' idea. This was in him and for him from the beginning a a as the creator. And yet, as Janice said, there's this ugliness and 
and, and sinfulness in the world, and, and how do we reconcile those things? We certainly see lots of that at times. But that was not the original design. The original design of God was good, as he created all things that he created are good. And the scripture even suggests that even Satan was created originally as an angel. But he had the same choice that you and I have today. He had a choice on whether I submit my will to the creator or whether I'm going to push against that and do my own thing and create my own design. And, of course, we know that Satan pushed away from that and decided to come against that and try to become his own god and has now come to kill, steal, and destroy and try to take away and suck life out of the good that God created. And you and I have that same decision every single day every single thing that we do we have that decision do i submit my will to god's way or do i I do my own thing paul talked about this struggle we all have that struggle inside don't we that we are created as good but we've got that stuff in us where we want to pull away we want to do our own thing paul talked about it in seven romans 7 21 it says so i find this law at work although i want to do good evil is right there with me For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. All those things that he says do and don't do, I delight in that. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God, who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So there has been the provision, that this mirror image of God, that's what he does for us, is he actually delivers us, gives us the strength and the power to be able to say no to those things that are not like God, and to say yes and submit our will to him. Accepting Jesus as our Savior, recognizing what he's done for us, doesn't put us on automatic pilot, where everything that we do is good from then on, right? Have you noticed that? Maybe you do everything good, but your spouse may do some things that you question from time to time. So just because we accept him doesn't mean that we automatically do good things. We are in a transformation process, but we have to realize that we were created good in the beginning, and sin came in, and we were bent. Because sin came in the world, the original design that God created us to be got bent in the process and as we accept God as we accept Jesus and we turn our lives over to him he wants us to go through the process of being transformed of being made new of submitting our lives and our wills to him Um, quite some time ago I I really felt like the Lord was trying to show me something uh, dealing with clay now I'm not talking about play-doh I'm talking about clay okay Clay is supposed to form into something useful and probably beautiful. That's the purpose of clay, is it's formed into something to be used. We were, you know, back in the hippie era, and so we all went and bought these beautiful clay pots, and you can see some of the communion things now that people have from the 60s and 70s that were beautiful. Clay was supposed to form into something beautiful. But I felt like as I thought through this, 
but because of my circumstances, because of my life, maybe because of sin in the world, instead I saw myself as clay that you buy it in the store. Now, when you buy clay in the store, I'm sure you're not, there's not a lot of you that have been in the market for it, but when you buy it in the store, it comes in a cardboard package, and it has rectangles, blue, yellow, green, and red, in cellophane. And what I really began to see was that I saw myself as one of those rectangles of clay. Now, I may allow God to take me out of the box, and I may allow him to even unwrap the cellophane, but I didn't really want to change shapes. I didn't really want to be molded or to be transformed because I was settled in who I was. I liked me the way that I was, and I didn't know that I wanted God messing with that. I was a rectangle, and I was blue, and I was happy with my blue rectangle. But what I found out was, what I began to realize was if I did that, I would be a rectangle sitting on the shelf, getting dried out and hard, and I'd be useless. If I want to be used by God, if I want to be transformed into who he created me to be from the beginning of time, if I want to participate in what he's doing, I have to let him shape me. The problem is, instead of shaping, or when you shape, sometimes you get squished. You ever worked with clay? You can't keep it in that rectangle form. You take it in your hands and you knead it and squish it and break it. And there's a part of us that goes, yeah, I think I'll choose not to do that. I'll stay in my shape. But if we want to be a thing of beauty, if we want to be what God has called us to be, then we need to choose to submit our lives and say, God, do what you will with me. I want to be used by you, and I want to be what you created me to be. I don't want to be content to just be on the shelf. And that's our choice. We, that's, you know, it's really a trust walk that we have. And, and that challenges our trust to be able to say, I put myself in your hands and do whatever you want to do with me. And, but that's really the decision that happened from a, at the very beginning. If you look at the fall, Satan was not going to convince Adam and Eve that there was no God. He, he wasn't going to take that line of, of logic. That wouldn't work. Adam and Eve walked with God. They knew God. Uh, but what they were able to do was to convince them that, that he doesn't necessarily have your best interest in mind, that, that you can do better. You can be your own God. You don't really need him to get your needs met, to fulfill your desires and dreams and hopes. You can do it yourself. And I will give you a path. I'll show you a path on, on how to do that. And that's the option that we have every, every day. We have an opportunity to choose him, to choose his ways, or to choose our own ways. This also speaks to what Jesus has done for us. Not only was he the one that, through whom all things were created, but he's the one that has been provided to us in the world to put things back in order, to take those bent places and make them straight and to form and fashion things in, into their beauty. Now, we as counselors certainly see every day the mess that we can get ourselves into as humans. When we begin to choose our own path, we can make life really messy when we don't choose his path, which leads us to the last point we're going to look at today, which is Jesus is the ultimate blueprint for what it means to be truly human. Jesus is the ultimate blueprint 
for what it means to be truly human. We use that word human. Sometimes I think we, and I understand what people say when they're saying something like, well, you know, I'm just human. You know, it's, I can't do any better because I'm just human. That really is a Gnostic thought. It's really, I'm bad, and so what do you expect? I can't do good because I'm, because I'm bad. And I think that has gotten us a little bit off track of what the original design was. When, when Paul was talking about this poem, when he was communicating this poem, inspired by the Holy Spirit in Colossians 1, people would have immediately thought, when he was using this idea of mere image of God, they would have immediately gone back to Genesis. This whole idea of image. Okay, I've heard that before. What is that referencing? In Genesis 1.26, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So we were designed to be God's image bearers. That, that we were designed to, to live in the world and so that when people saw us, that we would reflect God. That was the original design. Now, Jesus is the ultimate the full mirror image of God. And so we're not suggesting that we ever will become that. But we are made in that image. And it's, and it's a good thing. But yet, through the fall, we have been bent, as Janice said. We've talked about that idea of being bent, or it's where we get wicked and wicker. Bent wood is, is that idea of where we get the word wicked from. That something about us has been broken, so we're broken image bearers. How many of you like to do jigsaw puzzles? Okay. We're going to pray for you, okay? Um, somebody, up, somebody up here loves jigsaw puzzles. That wouldn't be me. Um, this is a jigsaw puzzle. Um, this, this is a scene of, you know, we've, we've done some traveling in Europe, and this kind of looks like the Mediterranean to me. Uh, it's probably like something like Monaco or Nice and a beautiful, beautiful picture. But when you open a jigsaw puzzle and uh, you dump out its contents, oh dear. <laughs> Honey, I'm sorry. We may not be able to do this anymore. Um, you owe me. You owe me. But when you... Um, when you um, oh, excuse me. <laughs> when you look at this, this doesn't look like this, does it? Not even close. I mean, it's... Have you ever done this? <laughs> oh, what do you do first when you do this? The edges and the corners, right? Everybody knows that. Easy part. I do that part. I'm pretty good. And then my gla eyes start glazing over after that. But if you've continued, if you've had the courage to continue with the jigsaw puzzle, what do you do next? Don't you look at this? Don't you have this like sitting right there so that you can look back at it constantly? And you can look at, how do I put these broken pieces together? You get a piece, <laughs> got it all over the place, <laughs> got a broken piece, and you go, that's, that's, that's a kind of blue-green. That's got to be in the water. You start laying them out, right? That's why we're obsessed about Jesus, because he's the mirror image of God, whose image we've been made in. And so if we want to know how we're supposed to act, how we're supposed to live, what we're supposed to do, what not to do, how we're supposed to carry ourselves, we look back at this, and little by little, he has come to put these pieces back together. And so that's why we're so obsessed about Jesus, because he's that image. As we spend time in the word, 
as we spend Sorry. time in worship, your take note. your pieces. Um, as we spend time in worship, as we gather together as a community, those are ways that we are seeing Jesus and we are being transformed. We are being renewed. We are being molded. We don't do those things because it makes us good Christians. We do those things because God knows how we were designed, and he helps us be conformed to that original design that he made for us. Now, the really great news is it's not up to us to do all the work. So we don't have to go, oh, I need to change shapes and try to push ourselves into that. We just, that's pretty good, wasn't it? Uh, we, <laughs> we just go Lord, I am open to you. I am submitted to you. And then as you walk through life and you hear this little whisper of, hmm, that's not a good idea to do that. We listen to that and we obey. As we have that sense of, I really need to be doing this, the Holy Spirit is whispering to us and changing us and transforming us. It's our job to listen and to submit our will but he works in and through us to help transform us into the image of Christ. Now, I'm not an um, engineer by any means, and I don't really know a whole lot about engines, but um, I do know that a gasoline engine, if you have a gasoline engine, it's not a good idea to put water in it. It's really best if you have a gasoline engine to feed it with gasoline instead of water. Because what happens if you put water in your gasoline engine? It doesn't run well. It's not a good thing. Eventually, it will break down and it will be ruined. When God tells us to do things, he was our creator. Just like the creator of the gasoline engine knew to put gasoline in it, made it that way, God is our creator, and he knows what we need in order to function and in order to process things well. He knows what we need to have a good life. So when God, when he tells us not to do something, he's not sitting up there going, <laughs> I'm not going to let him do that, and I'm not going to let him do that, and I'm not going to let him do that. He's not doing things to spoil our fun. When he says, don't do this, it's because he knows it's like putting water in our engine. It's not going to be good for us. It's going to cause us to break down. He is a good and loving father, and he is our designer. And so as we listen to him, he's going to show us what's right for us to do and what can cause destruction and damage in our lives. So lust, greed, gluttony selfishness, um, just fulfilling every passion at every moment, um, those all are water in the gasoline. Those things will kill, steal, and destroy. And once again, we don't do this. We don't look to please God, to live a life pleasing of God, um, to try to get our spiritual merit badge, to try to get him to like us better. Um, we do it because he knows best. He knows the design. He knows what he created us to, to be like, that if you do these things, then you will have life and fullness of life. If you do these things, it'll kill, steal, and destroy you. And so we do those things. We look at that image, um, that mirror image of God, the life of Jesus, and we follow that. That's why we do things here as a church. 
corporately like the turkey brunch. That's why we're doing Advent Conspiracy. We're encouraging you to consider these things because when you do things like Jesus did, when you do things that are selfless, when you make sacrifice, when you consider other people before you consider your, your own needs, you are being like him. And you are being truly human. The way that he designed humans to be, you're being more human when you do those things. It's because the human design was good. And so we do those things to be, to be like him. Verse 18 as we wrap up here, it says, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn among the dead. So he was there in the beginning, and he was, through his resurrection, was the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. So Advent, we're celebrating the birth of this mirror image of God. He came to us, that God came to be with us, God with us, Emmanuel. He came to be with us, wrapped himself in human form, to be with us, to understand exactly what we go through and to give us that life of Jesus um, so that we can look into that, into that mirror. Uh, he came among us. He took on our sin. He died a cruel death, and yet he was ultimately resurrected. So for our ultimate peace, our ultimate reconciliation, our ultimate life with him. So when Jesus came, the new creation began, that he was the first in the new creation, and he is the one in whom we are now to discover what true humanness looks like in practice. So as we walk these things out, we become more human. So we're encouraging you to obsess a little bit. Now, some of you obsess better than others, okay? Um, but we're encouraging whatever it takes, obsess about Jesus over these next 30 days. Let's do everything we can to get him and his nature and who he is and what he's about in front of us on a daily basis. Now, we've been talking about a lot of practical things to do that, certainly involved in the Advent conspiracy. We encourage you to pray about that. Um, what is it that we are to talk about worshiping more and then spending less? What might we change? It might just be changing one, uh, giving up one, one present a person in the family and taking those funds, and let's give into the kingdom through that. Uh, whatever that looks like for you, I encourage you to consider it. Uh, can download, we've got this devotional, this Advent devotional. It takes about a minute to walk through the daily devotional. What might that look for your individual life or you as a couple or a family? Um, participate in that. There's, a, there's an Advent blog also that you can go on the website that gives you lots of ideas about some of these creative things that families have done to make this time um, special. And then I would encourage you to consider thinking about, again, the mirror image of God and Jesus. Think about picking one of, the, one of the Gospels, maybe one that you just haven't read as much, or maybe a section of one. Maybe you started reading one of the Gospels, and you kind of, by the seventh chapter, you always kinda, it always kind of drops off, and you never quite get back to it. Well, go back to the seventh chapter and read a little bit more in that. Um, just an opportunity for you to get that picture of who God is. Why don't you stand your feet this morning?